Welcome back to the program. The world is indeed a crazy place. Every day here, we talk about all the forces that are impacting us, making life more complex, confusing, and making so many people less sure of who they are, how they fit in, and whether the decisions they make will lead them to the right place. Sure, many people want to change their lives, but for others, it's simply a matter of trying to find true north, of seeing the guideposts or the modern-day yellow brick road that will lead to a sense of certainty and a greater sense of security. For many, that road is about gratitude and trust, the title of a new book by my guests Paul Williams and Tracy Jackson. Paul Williams is an Oscar, Grammy, and Golden Globe-winning Hall of Fame songwriter. Tracy Jackson is an esteemed screen and television writer. It is my pleasure to welcome Paul Williams and Tracy Jackson here to talk about their new book, Gratitude and Trust, Six Affirmations That Will Change Your Life, Paul, Tracy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Good Thank morning. You. Great to have you. And what an, el- what an eloquent, lovely introduction as well. That was How great. Well. Can we just like tape that and everyone has to say it? Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That was really exciting. Like, I was going, whoa, yeah. he gets it off the bat. <laughs> that's decent writing. Excuse me. That's really, really good we writing. We are impressed. <laughs> well, thank We're going to just take yeah. you on the road with us from now on. Oh, it's a deal. Well, thank you both very much. Paul, I want to start with you and a little bit about your background and your history in terms of the recovery movement and how you came to some of these principles and realized that this these were principles that were applicable to everybody. It didn't matter whether they were in recovery. They were simply living life and therefore sure. were dealing with the problems of life. Well, I had that amazing, you know, amazing seventies where, you know, where, where I was celebrating my success with a drink, like like everybody else was seemed to be doing at the same time, and dabbling with the drugs. And when everybody kind of grew up and and put that away, I kept on, you know, being being, being a, a hardcore alcoholic and an addict. I, I, I. You know, I stayed with it till the wheels came off, and then I drug it for a while. I, I got sober uh, in 1990, and that that was the most amazing gift that I'd ever experienced. It was a solid connection to the rest of the world that I'd never had before, and and everything in my life got better. For the last 24 years, Jeff, people have been saying to me, "Why don't I have, Why don't we have something like you have? Why don't we have something like you have?" And the the principles that that, that allowed me to put my life back together. You know, are, are, were something that became a, a, a way of life for me. That when I, I when I saw Tracy and became friends friends again with Tracy, which is in the conversation you'll find that she knew me when I was a mess and and afterwards. You know, one of the things she she said was that, that you know there's there's there is, there's a way to share what you've been given, and and I think I know how to do it. And it turns out she did. We had sat down, spent two years. Writing uh, six affirmations, which basically take those principles and carry them forward to the to the general public, because everybody has something they need to fix. Tracy, what was it about these ideas and about what Paul was going through that triggered something in you to realize, in fact, that there was something here that should be shared? Um, you know, I've always found. Always was a long time. It's certainly for a couple of decades. I mean, I'm not three years old. I had this great breakthrough. I've had so many friends over the years, and if, as you've seen with the book, I mean, I'm not um, a drug or alcohol user. That's just, you know, and it's no great, you know, personal uh, attribute of mine. It's just I particularly wasn't particularly interested. But I've had over the years many, many, many friends who were in recovery, who had drug and alcohol problems who at one time in their lives were a complete and total mess and totally unreliable. 
didn't find them particularly appealing in those stages to be around. And then through the miracle of recovery and what goes on in those in, in that process, they became these extraordinary people. They were the most honest people. They were the most dependable people. They turned their lives around. You could count on them. And over the years, I'd gone into the into several um, recovery places, you know, no, with, with friends, just um, meetings, what have you. And, and I was always amazed at the love and the camaraderie and the honesty and that people embraced their problems and they tried to fix their problems as opposed to being shameful. We're taught to hide things that we're embarrassed by. We're not taught to look at ourselves really straight in the mirror and say what's wrong and fix it. And I always had this theory that if everybody went through recovery, the world would be a better place. Not just people who had drug, alcohol, gambling, sex problems, whatever, but just all of us, you know, almost like learning to, took into driver's ed before you learn to drive a car, that it was just kind of basic life 101 that everybody should be exposed to. And that was something I'd held on to for quite a, quite a few years. And Paul and I had been looking for a project to do together for probably the last 10 years. And after his film came out, Paul Williams Still Alive, I was listening to him speak, and he was talking about how the twin, his choo-choo ran on the twin rails of gratitude and trust. And I was sitting in the audience, and I thought, bingo, the light went off on my head. Don't talk to my head if there's light there. And it said, this is the book. This, this, is, this is the concept, gratitude and trust. Recovery is not just for addicts because we all have problems, and we're all addicted to something, and we all have corners of our lives that need sweeping out and that we need to turn the light on and that we need to change. So that was pretty much the way it, that's what the way it started. When we started the website and we sold the book and – here we are talking to you in San Francisco. Paul, talk about the mythology that often surrounds recovery. That and, and this really goes to Tracy's point about what she experienced, what she saw in these groups, that the people that, that make the decision to do this, the people that make the decision to get into recovery, have in some ways had to hit bottom first or go through a really bad experience first, that that in some way shapes what the recovery experience is all about. Oddly enough, through the years, we've found that that, that that extreme bottom is not necessary. People that, you know, that had a good job, you know, two cars in, in the garage and everything, but, but were slowly but surely destroying their lives with drugs and alcohol could, in fact, put a shiny side up, you know, with the, with the principles of recovery. They didn't need to wait to, to hit the bottom. What amazes me, Jeff, even in a moment like this, it's interesting to hear Tracy talk about her admiration for people that, you know, that have turned their lives around. And, I, and it occurs to me that that is the absolute polar opposite of the stigma of alcoholism, you know. So if if nothing else happened beyond that speech, means you know being shared on the radio to all the people in, in recovery around the world who have put their lives back together, what a marvelous testament to what how they're performing, their, how how they're acting, and you know how they're living their lives, and what we've been given. So so the, you know the fact is that that I. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic and an addict, hardcore. I, I, I have I suffer from the life-threatening disease of alcoholism. But for people with life-limiting habits, people you know who are whether they're addicted to their iPhone, if they're a serial gossip, if if they, you know, they live in a victim mode, poor me, poor me, which will for me would lead to pour me another drink. It, it, there are people that can use these principles. You know that are really and and we look closely at the, at the Oxford Group, which was is kind of the the mothership of of, of the six tenets of uh, and and the four absolutes of of a kind of a kind of behavior. But we wanted something 
kind of conversational and and simple that people could sort of try on and step up to and and operate easily. I'll give you an example. The very first the very first affirmation is something needs to change and it's probably me. Something needs to change and it's probably me is a really easy jacket to slip on. You look at your life, something isn't working. Oh my God, you're gonna like you're you know, you're stuck in your room, you know, you, you, as soon as you're alone, you click on the the, uh, the computer and you go back to that same miserable website, whether it's shopping or, you know, the the devil delivers these days. You can have anything you want delivered to, your, to, your, to the privacy of your room. You don't have to go out and seek any of the things that you're overdoing right now and also. So everybody has a little something that, that they need to deal with. But if you look at that, you know, and, and in the book, we help people identify what isn't working in their life. You know, if you look at those things, that fine, you identify that one thing that isn't working. And you have that lovely little probably in there. Something needs to change, and it's probably me. It's kind of a little window for willingness to sleep, kind of sneak in and go, you know what, yeah. I'm willing to look at this long enough to where I own it. It's right. I need to change. Uh, you know, I'm, I, 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 am, I, I am out of control in this area of my life. Let's move forward and try to fix it. The other side of that, Tracy, is that for most people, and I think as a societal rule, the hardest thing that there is to do is change. Oh, absolutely. I think people are, I think, and you'll always hear from people, and, and you know this, people always say, I'm stuck, or I can't change, or what if I, I think there's great fear in change. I think people become so linked to their habits, it becomes comfort, even if they're bad. You know, I mean, you know the old saying, the devil known. And, and I think that for people to really, to really look hard and long down the barrel of their own fears, their own limitations, their own desires. I think people are often afraid to go after what they want because what if they don't get it? And what if they give it their all and they still come up short? There's 101 reasons why people don't change. People in families become designated roles. They have designated roles. There's the victim role. There's the high achiever role. There's mommy's favorite. There's, you know, they, we, we become just habitually used to the way we walk through the world. But what we often end up doing is complaining about it and, and continuing to sabotage ourselves. There's a chapter in the book called When You Get to the Fork in the Road, You Take the Knife which is about all the people who get to that place when they have the chance to turn right or turn left, and they really make a sharp turn towards left, which is usually wrong, oftentimes knowing it. To change, you have to want to change. I think what happens to alcoholics and addicts who end up changing, and you go back to what you said earlier, is yes, oftentimes, not always, but probably more often than not, they do bottom out. There comes a moment in many, and many don't, as we know. Many people go on and have terrible ends. But for the ones who do get cleaned up, the ones like Paul, who get to that place after many, many attempts that he had in, in getting clean, where it's just enough is enough. They're sick and tired, as Paul says, of being sick and tired, and they get, they get clean. When you have life-limiting habits, you often don't get to that place. But somewhere you're really, really unhappy. So... If things aren't working out, it's up to you to really go in there and excavate what's wrong and fix it. Nobody can fix your life but you. And I think we're very good at passing the buck to why, why things aren't working out. It's the boss. It's our mom. It's our dad. It's, it's the economy. Whatever it may be, we're, we're very good at, uh, I, I just can't diet. I can't get to the gym. 
we're very good at not taking control. But the truth is, and, and I think these affirmations really prove that, and I think recovery proves that. So together, hand in hand, it's pretty hard to argue with their success rate. You can change if you want to. And most people who do, you'll find out, are so much happier. That's the thing. I mean, people are really, really happy when they do make those changes. It's just getting them out of that corner. And as an, an addendum to what Trace is saying, it's, it's funny, Tracy. This morning, you, everything you say is, is reminding me of something wonderful. Is the exactly. fact oh, that's that, really that, good. That people, <laughs> yeah, we love that. The fact is that, that people also don't, in many cases, because you're concentrating on the habit, because you're concentrating on this, this kind of where your life is right now, there are pieces of it that are missing that you don't have an awareness of. When, you know, when I was caught in my disease, when I was drinking and using around the clock, I had no idea what I was missing. In sobriety, I began to slowly but surely add on to my life and all. And there are people that are listening right now that may have a, a little spending problem. They may, may have a little problem with porn. They may, may have a little problem with a variety of issues in their life, picking the wrong guy again and again and again. But if they begin to change those elements, if they look at, at it, you know, how to make those little adjustments in their behavior, there will be elements that can be added on to their life that will start slipping in and they're going to see, I would predict they're going to see, hopefully quickly, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, we begin to see those amazing parts of our life that we'd been missing before. Tracy, is there an aspect of, of society today and the way in which we're connected with each other and social networking and all the things that go with it that reinforce the bad habits, that it's really easy to get more support for the poor me attitude that you were talking about before? Oh, I think I think not only, and that's a very good point, is there, you know, you get more support for poor me. I think that bad habits now are easier than ever to perpetuate because in the old days, let's say, to go have an affair, you had to go out. You know, you had to make phone calls. You had to go meet at a motel six. Now all you have to do is go online. You can sit, you can sit in the business meeting and be sexting someone, you know. Um, you, if you're shopping, if you've got a shopping problem, you just have to get in your car, go to the mall and shop. Now you can wake up at four in the morning and, you know, go to Macy's online. You can get, you can get porn online. You can get, there's nothing you can't do anymore. You can, and the, the ability to not concentrate now, the ability to continually talk to your friends, to gossip, the online bullying, almost every bad habit we have, online poker and gambling, almost every bad habit that we have now, we can sit at our desk and pretend to be working and do. So I think that people aren't even aware of their addictions anymore. I think it's become so ingrained that they turn on their computer and they go right to it, or they turn on their smartphone, or they're sitting waiting at a parking lot. So it's, I think it's probably harder than ever to change those things because, and what is in society is constantly endorsing them. So it takes a great deal of inner strength when you're not, when you don't have the outside reminders, you know, if the two things really, alcohol and drugs and, um, and weight, weight is sugar addiction is the number one addiction in America. I mean, it's a huge, huge problem. And there are many more obese people and fat people than there are alcoholics and drug addicts, and it kills more people. But everywhere you go, what is there? There's sugar. There's sugar in all our food. There's sugar in every corner. There's sugar in every store. You're constantly told to be eating these things. It's much like when they used to advertise smoking. You know, when did smoking drop? When they stopped advertising, when they stopped making it sexy, when it was not as available and people didn't do it, when you couldn't do it in public. And all of a sudden, the smoking rates dropped. So I think for a lot of things now, yeah, they're they're thrown in our face. They're on they're on our device, 
people are on their devices 24-7. So it's a much bigger problem. It's a much bigger problem. And I, and I look at the generation coming up and wonder how will they cope with these things? What will their mechanisms be? Because they don't quite have the discipline that we, that we grew up with and, and we had problems. And Paul, how then does this relate to the second affirmation, which is that somehow internally inside you know what the right thing to do is? So I don't know how to do this, but something inside me does. It's you know the, a large part of the recovery process is is finding a higher power, or and and to be more specifically, to 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 not feel that that this is something that you're that you're tackling alone. A lot of people that have serious problems with with religion, uh, spirituality is is a, an easier word and 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 a better word to describe, you know what we're what we're talking about in with that. But but it, it goes beyond that for me. I think that 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 the the idea of of knowing that you have something inside you that that will allow you to move forward, you, you begin to, to to release doubt. You begin to release release fear. It's it's it's. A, a process, which for for me there are a couple, and, and Tracy gets to hear this again and again and again. But the thing that has always amazed me, and it absolutely amazes me, is is what our bodies do without our any conscious awareness of it. Everything from the heartbeat, from oxygen being our, our blessed breath being converted into into oxygen carried into our body and all. But beyond that, what the the creative process that I can sit down and not really think about it and have these wonderful wonderful words come to me which you know which I don't sometimes I don't know who to thank for trying to remember a name I'm amazed that I will forget a name of somebody I have known since I was this high and and known for years cannot remember their name two years later it pops into my head because there's some wonderful little gathering of of uh, clerks in there that are going through files until they find the name and they go ah Art Munson and they give me the name and all beyond that I, I believe you know I, I have a higher power I call the big amigo I think that, that that it's it's part of the process that that for those who can state that affirmation and and really begin to believe it, they'll find that in time as things change, you know that it, that it's absolutely true. I don't know how to do this, but something inside me does. It's an antidote to fear. It, you know, it's something I say before I walk on stage. I, I mean, I've been I've been you know walking on stage singing my songs for, you know since the the late sixties. And and I'll still get nervous before I walk on stage. It's the, I, I say it's the big amigo cleaning my windshield, getting me ready to perform. But before I walk on stage, I'll say, I don't know how to do this, but something inside me does. And there's an immediate release. I walk on stage, I feel like I'm home. What part then, Tracy, does religion and or spirituality play in this process, in these affirmations, in this approach? I th- I think it plays a part. And I think that Oftentimes, what one hears when recovery comes up for a lot of people is like, "I can't go to that religious place. I can't. I can't do the God thing." Um, I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people feel disillusioned. I think there's a lot of there is a lot of atheism. There's a lot of people who don't want to join organized religion, and I think they don't want religion per se crammed down their throats. Like you have to embrace this thing that you may not believe in in order to access this process. What we've done, and I think it certainly works for us, and it works for me because I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person, is we've taken it to the place where as long as you can release release the hold 
and release the control and hand it over to something. It's, it doesn't really matter as much as what that something is. And so I think, I think it's an important step. I think it's a step that's very freeing. I think that it allows you to move forward oftentimes not feeling alone and at the same time trusting in something outside of yourself. Is it there's essential? A there's a story. Oh, sorry. You're, 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 there you are interrupting me again. It's, 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 um, I think it's, I think it's, is it, is, you don't want to say to people, it's essential you do this, otherwise you cannot change. I'm a believer in that. I mean, and Paul could argue that for me. Uh, for me, it works. For me, it's important. But if it's not important for everybody, if they just need to take a walk, if they just need to be quiet, if they just need to listen to the still small voice within, you don't really have to give it a name. It's not this big guy in the sky who's all of a sudden going to, damn you or judge you or you're not going to get to go further in the world if you don't have, you know, believe something very specific and dogmatic. I think it's just trust. I mean, that's where the gratitude and the trust enter the picture. So, yes, it's important. Yes, it makes your life easier. It makes my life easier. But there are people for whom maybe it doesn't make their life easier. So they have to find something, you know, and, and that can be anything. And then Paul wants to tell you this story about, I know the story he's launching into because I know everything he's going to say before he says it. But, um, but yeah, it, it's important, but essential, but specific to that person. I think that's what I really want to get across, that that part of it is very, very specific to the individual and how they want to employ it. And we're not telling anybody, Jeff, that they have to do anything other than they want to do. Yeah. And, that, and that's a big deal. Paul? And that's part of the brilliance of the traditional. You know, I used to. Tra- I was uh, involved in a traditional uh, pr- program of, of recovery that I don't mention by name for a ver- for a variety of reasons, and, I, and and have not had my name connected to that organization. But I will say that one of the brilliant elements of that organization is that it's the god of your understanding. It's not. It, you know. You know. You you can in fact. You know. Either either ignore that or move away from it or, or, as you begin the process, or you know. No, you don't have to 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 conform your beliefs system to anybody else's at all. There was a woman that I worked with, and I'll tell a very quick version of it, named Gloria, who was a very tough old heroin addict, who got sober and she knew that she was supposed to have a higher power. She didn't believe in any man's God, but she loved, she knew she had to have something in the way of a higher power to get sober. She loved Neil Young. So she took a paper sack and she wrote Neil on the side of it. And when she had a problem, she'd write it down and crumple it up into a little ball and toss it in the, in the, the sack. She'd give it to Neil and her life got better. Just you know, knowing that something was being done about it as part of the process, she didn't worry about it. She gave it to Neil. She changed it as the years went by from Neil to the ocean. She became a certified drug and alcohol counselor, and she saved hundreds of lives. She was a made the toughest old biker dopers that just didn't believe in anything or anybody would just melt under Gloria's gaze. She was this just amazing, tough old broad who, who, who found a way to make it work for her. And it's the story that I tell in the book of, of a classic example of somebody who is, who is saying, I'm going to do this no matter what. This is how I can do it. There's, so you know what? If, you, if, you know, if you're a huge Steven Tyler fan, get yourself a, a, a sack. You know, put it on this, write Steven on a sack is what I said, you know, and start tossing your problems to Steven. Um, Tracy, a lot of what we've been talking about revolves around this idea of trust, but equally important is this notion of gratitude. Talk a little bit about how important that is and, and its value in the context of all of this. Well, I think gratitude is, 
and, and there's a lot of talk these days, obviously, about right. gratitude, and it's become a kind of catch-all phrase. I think gratitude, for me, in its most simplistic form, takes me out of myself. It, it allows me to live in the moment. It allows me to be grateful for the small things that in turn roll into the big ones. I think that gratitude and trust are the firewalls to fear. I think that we live in so much fear. And you spoke about that early on, I think, in, mm-hmm. in your introduction, very articulately about the way the world is today. And there's so much going on. How can we not be, you know, one could say, how can we not be fearful? You know, you turn on the radio this morning and there's some guy in Oklahoma is cutting off a woman's head. You know, I mean, you just, you can't, sometimes you just stare at the news and you can't quite believe what happens in the world. Now, how can you live in this world and be grateful? But I think that you, you owe it to yourself in moving forward in life to, to be grateful for the small things. And I was saying the other day, you, you know, we're staying in lots of hotels and you run around like crazy and, you know, we're always unhappy, let's say, when the key to the room doesn't work or the, you know, the car doesn't, you know, the, the car runs out of gas or the car has a problem and then you're furious. But we never really say, you know, thank you that the key works. Thank you that the water turns on. In California now, now water's become a big thing. How long have we taken water for granted? We really have stopped being grateful for the small things. And when you're sm- grateful for the small things in your life, truly grateful, you end up with this kind of glow, and I make it sounds very of new agey, but you just end up living in a world at a very high, at a higher level, you know, in a higher plane, I think. Not that you're better than anyone, but you just, you don't sweat the small stuff. You don't get thrown off your game as easily. You're able to concentrate on what's important. You're able to give back to others, which gives you a great sense of accomplishment and, and purpose. And, and people respond. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 never ceases to amaze me that when you're kind and you're grateful and you're not accusatory and you're not angry and you don't get thrown for a loop just when life and life always will throw you it will always throw curves your way you know and people just expect it all to go really well it's not going to go really well nobody's life is going to go really well all the time no matter what affirmations you employ no matter what you glom onto no matter what you believe in, life is fluid and there are ups and downs and you have to get through them. And what I like to say is, and Paul disagrees with me, but you know, faith isn't like a locksmith. I don't think that you can just call when you get in trouble. I think you, you need daily, a, a daily kind of faith and a daily gratitude, daily trust in the world, daily trust in yourself. But to keep that shit moving really clearly and, and forward, and, and I think that's very important. So I think if people could learn to do that they'd be a lot happier. And then they start really working on the bigger problems. It all, it all fits together. It's, all, it's like a Rubik's Cube almost. You know, all the pieces, they kind of just slip in together when you do them properly. Paul, Paul, it's really about a kind of grace under pressure in many respects. I think it it's is. It's like a suitcase last night, Paulie, right? Well, it was wonderful because we got off the plane last night and, and this, this, this kind of perfect suit, suitcase that, that, that Tracy owns, I forget the name of the, of the brand, but it's the top of the line and it's, and it looked, it looked like an accordion when it, when it came down the ramp. And, uh, and there was just no, there was no rise. There was no, oh my God, and look what you've done And I used to get so tonight. freaked out at airports. I had like a total, oh, yeah. I used to call my, I used to call her my evil airport twin. I'm actually a really nice woman, but when something, it goes wrong during travel. 
I just lose it. You know, it, that's that's the place somehow where it all falls apart for me. But what happened last night was what was was so so. I mean, that, that's the interesting thing is we worked the last two years on the book, and you know, Tracy has a a, a razor sharp wit and she has an edge and she can, if she wishes to, she can be devastating. But what happened last night is we walked up to the to the counter and she, you know, she said, you know what, the, what what's the process? What do I do now? My 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 luggage is damaged. The gentleman was wonderful. He said, he gave her all the information to have it replaced. And as we were walking away, he said, you know, you, it was so so nice to work with you. You were, you know, you made it so easy because of your attitude. You were, you know, it was really really a pleasure to to work with you and all. So, so you know, again, I, I saw I saw just the, the process of of of, of Writing the affirmations, using the affirmations, working the affirmations, I think we've both changed. In my case, I've lost 30 pounds and kept it off just you know, by a certain discipline that came through the, the well, table. The interesting of, thing, Elsa, he said, though, was he talked about how people, and this has happened to me three times recently, and I said, yeah. and when we walked away, you know, he said you were really nice. And I said, well, you know, it's not your fault. You didn't break the suitcase. And he said, but you'd be surprised how many people come to this desk, pound their fists, and scream at me and say it's all my fault. <laughs> now, mind you, this is you know this is a story about a suitcase. It's not the end of the world. But how many people go through life pounding their fists and screaming that everything is somebody else's fault? And for me, that's the essence in the work that this that we do and this book incorporates, which is Absolutely. personal responsibility. And that's what the alcoholic does when they get clean. Is that I have to do it. It's my life. I have to get sober. And it's what most people don't do in their daily lives with their children, with their bosses, with themselves, which is it's my life, it's my responsibility. And they pound their fists and they scream, it's your fault. Be it a man who's working behind a desk who had nothing to do with anything other than he works there and takes claims, or it's your kids, it, it doesn't matter. We spend our lives passing the buck, and the buck stops with us. And it's a really simple concept, <laughs> but it works. Paul, last word. Yeah, you know, I was just going to just going to say that just that that we we all have wreckage in our past where we've acted inappropriately and all. And our third affirmation is, "I will learn from my mistakes and not defend them." I will learn from my mistakes and not defend them. We go forward, you know, we clean up our lives and all. And the thing about gratitude that that it was just as a final point is the time is a great revealer. As a little bit of time goes on, I find things that, that I I'm grateful for not only the wonderful things that I've gotten, but I'm really grateful for the things I didn't get. There's a there's a great line of with Capote, that there more, there are more tears are shed for for answered prayers than unanswered prayers. That that as time has gone on, I found the things that I didn't get in my life turned out to be wonderful gifts. No is a gift in my life. Once again, it was a navigational nudge that moved me in the direction I needed to go. I am beyond grateful for the life I have today, Jeff. And and amazingly, uh, obviously, just based on a half hour conversation, you can see that why I would be grateful to have Tracy Jackson as a partner. Paul? I'm grateful to have you. Oh. Paul Williams, Tracy Jackson. The book is Gratitude and Trust, Six Affirmations That Will Change Your Life. Paul, Tracy, I thank you both so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. We have gratitudeandtrust.com <laughs> if anybody would like to find out what's going on. and our, our We're at Gratitude Trust is our, is our Twitter account. So come say hi. Thank you very much. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 